We are excited because we're kicking off an Advent series. Now, Advent has been celebrated for literally centuries. Ways for Christians to begin to prepare themselves for the announcement of Jesus, right? That this season is more than just about gifts. or um, It's more than eggnog lattes. That Advent is our chance to begin to prepare ourselves. And so over the next four weeks, that's what we look to do to prepare ourselves for this Christmas season. And as we were doing that, I began to think, coming out of Thanksgiving, by the way, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah? yeah? Good. Some of you are like, no. <laughs> well, I was thinking about um, my Thanksgiving this year, and I'm in charge of two things in particular, two, two things that I'm responsible for every single Thanksgiving. Number one is I'm responsible to cook the turkeys. Um, yeah, and I've actually, over the last decade, gotten pretty good at cooking turkeys. I fry one and I bake one. But I'm also in charge of one other thing, and it is what happens at the Thanksgiving table. Now, um, a few years ago, I tried different ways to engage everybody. We have a pretty big family. My wife is a twin, and my wife's twin had twins. And so there are lots and lots of people sitting around the table. And so a few years ago, I came up with this concept. We have these little cards, right? And they have different questions on them. My wife will set the table, and she puts a name tag she assigns. Um, like a good school teacher might, Andy, um, she uh, assigns all the tables and I go around and I look at the cards and I think about who I want to hear from and what I want to hear from each person at the table. Well, this year in particular, um, one question caught my attention and um, I gave it to my niece because I wanted to hear how a 16-year-old would answer this question. What does it mean to be blessed? That was the question. And for the next 15 minutes, that question worked its way around the table. But I have to be honest that as I was prepping for this message this week, that question continued to filter through my mind. And I began to think about this Advent season. What does it actually mean to be blessed? Now, now if you go on social media, you'll have an idea of what it means to be blessed. And you can do it simply by just searching hashtag blessed, right? If you search that, what you're going to find is a bunch of people who are describing their blessed life. And it's beautiful in some ways. You'll hear about people talking about their college scholarship, hashtag blessed. You'll hear them talk about an unexpected raise, hashtag blessed. A, a car that they just got. By the way, whoever gets a car for Christmas, I want to know you, right? Because I always see the commercials. I've never gotten one, but hashtag blessed. Right? But I got to thinking about, as followers of Jesus, this question. For those of us who claim faith in Jesus, has our approach to hashtag blessed become synonymous with a successful life? Like, is the Christian version of the good life, right? So, I'm hashtag blessed if I have a loving marriage and obedient children, a vibrant ministry, a healthy body. And, and while I'm not discounting gratitude, it's really, really important. The real question is, what does Jesus have to say about this life? What does it mean to be hashtag blessed? 
Well, lucky for us, Jesus talks about this very specifically. In fact, um, his very first sermon that he ever teaches, some will say the greatest sermon ever written, handles this very idea of what does it mean to be blessed. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be flipping to Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, the Bible tells us that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he taught them. And he first said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I don't know what comes to mind to you when you hear the, I, the word poor, poor in spirit. But I can tell you what comes to my mind when you say poor, broke, I got no money, I have, I'm destitute. And if any of you grew up in poverty at any level, you know what poor means. When Chrissy and I first got married, we were pretty young. I was 23, she was 22. Um, and um, my, our very first year of marriage, I made $50 a week. Now, I know some of you are going, yeah, but back in your time, that was a lot of money, right? No, no. $50 a week isn't a lot of money in anybody's time. I made $50 a week, and Chrissy made, like, minimum wage, which was, I don't even know, 7 or $8. This is what we got married on. And when we had to find a place to live, the only place we could afford was this upstairs attic um, in this old woman's house on a really bad part of town. It was so small. Seriously, it was so small. This is no joke. The only thing I brought into the marriage that was a piece of furniture was a futon from college. That was it. That was my dowry, right? I, I brought in this futon, and the room was so small that when you put the futon in our bedroom, the one bedroom we had, you had to decide whether you were going to keep the door open or keep the door closed. Because once the futon was laid out, that door wasn't moving. This was small. And, and, and you add to that, seven months into marriage, Chrissy calls me at work and she says, okay, I've got good news and bad news. Which do you want first? And I'm like, oh, okay, bad news. She goes, well, okay, it's really good news all around. I'm pregnant. I went, that's not good news. That's not good news, because here's the truth. We were only been married for seven months. We didn't have insurance. And again, some of you are like, yeah, but in your time, no, no. Not having insurance ever when you have a baby is bad. We were so broke. Chrissy remembers times when she said she'd go grocery shopping at her mom's house, right? She'd pull stuff out of the cupboards at her mom's house so that we had food. Jesus says, you are blessed when you are spiritually broke. Think about that. Jesus starts this message as he begins to lay out what it looks like to be blessed. He says, you are blessed when you begin to realize that you're spiritually busted. And there's nothing that you can do about it. When you're really lost, you are absolutely Blessed, And it's funny because when you begin to think about how Jesus begins to describe being blessed, the very first word you go, we would never put hashtag blessed on being broke. And yet Jesus says, you are absolutely blessed when you know that you're lost. Now he goes on 
He starts the second part and he says, let me tell you how else you know you're blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. And Jesus lays this out. He goes, first, when you realize that you are absolutely spiritually busted, you are blessed. But let me tell you the second piece. You are absolutely blessed when you are broken hearted by it. You ever had your heart broken? I don't mean sad. Some of us have sad days. You had a bad thing happen. But I mean, have you had anybody or anything happen to you that crushed your heart? Like having that moment where your heart is broken, where you wake up and you can't get out of bed and it just hurts. Your heart is broken. Jesus says, blessed are us when our spirit is broken like that. This is how it reads in the Old Testament. Psalm 51 says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit and you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Jesus says, you want to be blessed? Hashtag blessed. It starts with knowing how lost you are. (laughs) And then it follows with being heartbroken by it. He goes on. Jesus says, want to know what blessed looks like? Blessed are the meek. Now, immediately when you hear the word meek, Oftentimes in our culture, you think of, you know, sort of like wimpy or timid. But, but the reality, what Jesus was getting at, is he says, this is what it means to be meek, is to be teachable, to be humble, to not be a know-it-all. Meekness really, as Jesus speaks of it in these terms, is all about surrender. Like giving full control to God, realizing that I got myself into this mess, but I can't get myself out of this mess. I had a teaching pastor who I came up under, and some of you might know him. His name was Mike Bro. And um, Mike used to say this all the time. He talked about self helping self. He's like, self can't help self. You know, it's a $10 billion industry of self help, when in reality, we can't help ourselves. Most of the reason we're in the messes we're in is because of me. I got me into this. How am I going to get me out of it? And Jesus says, look, you're in a really good place, a really blessed place. When you know you're lost, when it breaks your heart, and when you just give up and surrender. Now, listen, you already see this and you go, when was the last time you saw hashtag blessed on Instagram where all of these were the pieces that people were celebrating? Uh, Never. And then Jesus follows up with the fourth piece. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have you ever been hungry? Like like for real hungry. So I won't tell you the full extent of this medical procedure that I recently engaged in. But those of you of a certain age will know the procedure that I'm about to speak of. It it, it started with two days of fasting. And I can tell you, by the second day, like after 24 hours, I began to know hunger. Jell-O wasn't going to cut it anymore, right? They're like, oh, well, you can drink drink some chicken noodle sauce or the, the broth. I'm like, I don't want broth. I want like a hamburger. I want some food. By the time you get to hour 18, like you're really hungry. It's all you think about. Like when you're really 
really hungry. And hunger pains begin to set in. This is what is like on your mind constantly, right? You just think about it. You can't get it off your mind. This is what hunger does, and it makes sense. Our body is telling us, hey, keep me alive, keep me alive. Jesus says, you're blessed when your hunger for me looks like that. You know, pain is interesting. We think about hunger, pain. I've thought about this a lot recently. No one ever hashtags, hashtag blessed after pain or loss, right? And yet, in most of our lives, if, we're, if we engage in this process of really following Jesus, what we've come to understand, that it is by pain and process, this unraveling of us, where we actually get to where God is. That pain has been, for me, the most significant part of helping me understand how far away I was from God and how much I need him. It has this, this way of drawing us to him. And this is what Jesus says. He goes, look, you're blessed when you're hungry. Now stop and look at this for a second. Jesus lays out these first four elements. Do you notice something about the first four things he talks about with hashtag blessed? These are all internal dispositions. We call it a posture. Jesus said, let me tell you in my kingdom what blessed looks like. Let me tell you where to start. It starts with understanding your lostness, having your heart smashed by it, being surrendered to the fact that you can't do anything about it and you have very little control and you're just filled with the hunger pains of wanting me. This is your formula. You get here and you've taken the first step towards hashtag blessed, but he doesn't stop there. He says, yeah, this is, this is how it starts. But there should be something that flows out of us, something that is action-oriented to the world. And Jesus then lays it out this way. He says, okay, now, blessed are the merciful. He says, if you begin to get your heart right, let me tell you what blessed life will look like. Mercy will begin to flow out of you. Now, in our culture... I think there's nothing more significant than someone who is willing to dispense mercy, which if you go back into ancient literature, the Mishnah, which is these collection of Jewish sayings that they, they were around a hundred or so years after Jesus' death, but they included rabbinic teachings from Jesus' contemporaries. The Mishnah would talk about mercy in these terms, that you learned how to judge everyone favorably. In our culture, we love the idea of mercy as it applies to me, but I really like the idea of judgment when it applies to everyone else. That's just sort of how we are, right? Like when the cop pulls you over, you have a reason why you were going as fast as you were going, and you should have mercy on me. But when that guy passes you down the street and zips by and the cop pull him over, you're like, good, I'm glad he got you. I'm glad he got you. Mercy for me, but judgment for everybody else. Jesus says, no, if you want to live blessed, you begin to tip the scales in your heart, not toward yourself, 
but toward everyone else. Oh, oh, and the ones who don't deserve it. We don't repay anger with anger. We do not repay judgment with judgment. In our culture where it feels like it is just heating up with anger and vitriol, it feels like it's seeped into our spiritual communities where sometimes we're just as angry as everybody else. And Jesus says, no, no, if you want to know what flows out of that first four pieces of being, knowing you're lost, being brokenhearted by it, by surrendering control, right? Mercy. And then he says, he says this, he says, not only will mercy flow out of a blessed life, secondly, blessed are the pure in heart. Now, we think about that, and I think, we think, oh, is he saying perfect in heart? No, this isn't what Jesus means. He's not saying blessed are the perfect in heart, because we're all sinners saved by grace, right? In fact, one of my favorite quotes is um, Dallas Willard, who passed just a few years ago, would say this about grace. He, he often would say, we think about grace is what sinners need in order to reform them and redeem them. But the truth is, saints burn grace like rockets burn rocket fuel. Like, we need grace. Jesus says, it's not about, it's not about being perfect. Pure in heart is about being Authentic who you really are, like truly authentic in every space that you walk into. This is me. This is who I am. You get to know the real me. No faking. We're real before God. We show people who we really are. We're honest with our mistakes. We say we're sorry fast. When someone says we're sorry, we forgive fast. We meet in this space and what I'll tell you is, is that in spiritual communities, the reason why it's easier to be a bit more plastic is because we can be plastic and for one hour get along and not sort of ruffle each other and walk into our, back into our homes and we, we can have some peace. But the reality is this isn't what Jesus calls us to. Now, now let me also forewarn you. Authenticity is really messy because that means I do bring my mess in. And I'm willing to be called on my mess and let you see the mess of my life. This is what we bring into the space. And it's what we bring to Jesus. Jesus says, listen, to be hashtag blessed is to be someone who brings mercy, authentically show up all of who you are. And then he lays this out. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. And I think if we, if we get this wrong, we may not really understand because peacemakers, we think, oh, we're supposed to come in and we calm everything down. And I think maybe a, a better analogy, a more modern analogy is being a peacemaker. I think it's, there's two types of people, right? Thermostats and thermometers, right? Where you either fit the room and the energy in the room you set the energy in the room. And I, and I think a better way to think about what Jesus is calling a hashtag life is, I, I, I call it shalom bringers, right? That you are shalom makers. You walk in and there's a presence about you that brings peace. 
We look to bring shalom into every space, our homes, our workspaces, at school. We bring shalom, peace. And then Jesus follows it up with the last piece. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. You know, one of the things I know Jesus is asking us to do as followers of his is to move from purely being in love with the idea of him to being in love with following him. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes we can get in love with the idea of something. But when it comes to actually following the things that that person asks us to do, we go, I don't, I don't know if I... I don't know if I like to do that. I like the idea of Jesus. I like to sit down with, in my quiet time and have time with him. I love coming to church. But to follow him, I don't, I don't know if that's really, really what I want to do. And so we don't. We don't do the things that he asks us to do. When he says, blessed are the persecuted because of their righteousness, that means we do the right things all the time. We follow him all all the time. We don't cut corners. We don't fudge numbers. We don't repay insult with insult or anger with anger. We choose a different way, no matter what it costs. You know, I was thinking about this idea of being committed, which is really what Jesus is saying. And I ran into a brother in Christ probably four years ago. I had been asked to go on this mission to India and was visiting these house churches that were spread throughout the country, mostly northern India. And there was one young pastor that I met. He probably was 30 years old when I met him. He had been a pastor for just a few years, but in those years he had already planted two churches. And I was so amazed by his commitment. He seemed so committed to the way of Jesus, all the ways of Jesus. And so I sat down with him, and we were doing an interview, and I was asking him questions as I started to dig through his story. I said, well, why don't you tell me, like, how you came to faith? And he said, oh, that's an interesting story. We grew up, he grew up, he and his sister, mom and dad, in a village that didn't know Jesus. But his father, when he was quite young, found Jesus became a follower of his. Now, he was the only one in the whole village as this young man told the story. And the rest of the village didn't like it and take kindly to Jesus' followers in the village. He said, all the village elders came over to their home. He remembers as a young boy, them sitting in their living room going, this isn't going to work, you and this way of Jesus. This doesn't go here. So you need to deny this. You need to come back home in a sense. He said, I remember my dad saying, I can't do that. Like, I'll never turn my back on Jesus because I now know what I did not know. Well, the elders left, and he said it wasn't but about three or four weeks later that an angry mob of, of friends, these are neighbors, these are people they grew up with, surrounded their home. They demanded them, you, you can't be a Christian. This isn't what you can be. You, you come back or, or else. He said, I remember my dad saying, I won't turn my back on the Christ. The mob set his house on fire. 
It burned to the ground. The four of them escaped. He said, we lived for two weeks in the woods. Now, now when you begin to think about hashtag blessed and all that is described and what we know about following Jesus, it is in those moments that you go, now, wait a minute. I stood up for you. I was committed. I did what was right. And my house got burned down. And all of my things in them, they were gone overnight. He said, for two weeks, we lived in a tent after two weeks, his dad said, we're not going to live in the woods. And so he, he brought his family back to their plot that was now just ash. And they set up the tent on the ash. And it was from there that he said, my dad began to dish out mercy. In every circle, he was ostracized at work. He was ostracized by friends. But he said, my dad just poured out grace like it was water flowing down the Ganges. It was just grace and mercy. He said it was probably within 12 months that a neighbor took notice, and he ended up in our makeshift home, and my father led him to Jesus. He said those two, some months later, led his neighbor, and his neighbor, and his neighbor. He said four years later, the entire village came to know Jesus. I said, the entire village? He goes, everyone. I said, you got to be kidding. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, but get this. After the fifth year, all the village, those that burned my house down, they came back to our home, and they rebuilt it for us, all as brothers and sisters in Christ, and not because my father repaid anger with anger, justice, he said, all because my father understood what a blessed life looked like. Committed to mercy, authenticity, and being a shalom maker, no matter the cost. This is the way of Jesus. And let me say, it is countercultural to the world we live in. Right? If I were to describe Hashtag blessed on Instagram, it would sound something like this. My Sermon on the Mount would be blessed are the self-confident, the positive thinkers. Blessed are the cocky and the assertive. Blessed, for the, blessed are those who hunger for fame and drive a new car. And blessed are those who beat their opponent and are popular. That's a way. It's just not Jesus' way. In fact, you know, in this, in this version, which is the ESV, the word blessed, bless, or blessing is listed 112 times. And do you know, not a single one of those references is referring to material items. None. There is a way. There is a way, and there is a path but it does not look exactly the way we see it in the world around us. And I wondered as we head into this Christmas season what it would look like if as followers of Jesus we actually took this on. Like what would it look like this week if you wrote these four things on your bathroom mirror? Like with a marker, you wrote, you know, in the next four weeks, I want to really understand how lost I am, like how much I need him. I want to be broken hearted by it. I want to fully let go 
Some of you, control is like a drug. And you're just going to let it go. And I'm going to see how hungry I can get for him and him alone. Not for money, not for the things, not for the promotions. If this became my posture, and then I committed myself to mercy and authenticity and shalom making, what would the next four weeks look like? It seems to me the perfect setup for Jesus. That if we as followers of Jesus in this community honestly began to posture our hearts in this way, and then we began to be active in this way, something beautiful could happen. And why do I believe that? It's because this is what the church has been doing for thousands of years, right? It's never about buildings. It was never about, like, church services. And while all those things are fine and good, what it was always about was positioning ourselves to follow a rabbi who had set out a new way to live differently. And so I invite you this Christmas season to posture your heart differently, that this Advent would look different for you. And I am believing that if we have the courage to walk his way, we will be shocked to find out what John 10.10 actually means. You know the verse where he says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. When Jesus talks about this, he's talking about the abdomen, that life would flow from your belly. How's that life flowing these days? Jesus says, this is your path. This is hashtag blessed. Will you try my way? And here's the great, the great invitation for those of you that don't know him. You can walk this same road. It's simple to surrender your life to him, to understand how lost you are, to be brokenhearted by it, to find a way to hunger him more than anything else, to be committed to mercy and authenticity and shalom making. This is why Jesus came. Will you stand? May we be a community that takes these words really seriously. May we be a space where we're not just in love with the idea of Jesus, but we learn to fall in love with his way. And we'll stumble along the way. You're not going to get it right. Some of you might pull out of the parking lot and there isn't going to be a lot of mercy today. The Bears game might bring something out in you. But what we try to do regularly is bring ourselves back to this rhythm, this rhythm that he calls us to, not just at Christmas, but in all seasons. This is the way of Jesus. Father, I pray for my friends, for all of us, that you will go with us this season. Guide us to walk this road with you. Your way is different. It is narrow, but it is good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you, and may he keep you, and may he make his face to shine upon you. And may you be back next week as we continue in this Advent series. Blessings. See you guys.